the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, the Finance Coast and Mohamed Nala. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. For those looking to take their market and business knowledge to the next level, we offer Magic Markets Premium, a research reports and podcast library that nearly has 100 reports in it and a new one every week, all available for just 99 Rand a month. Recent reports have included the likes of Kroger, Deer & Co, Foot Locker, McDonald's, UPS, Apple, Meta, Johnson & Johnson & Swatch. With broad variety and deep research, this is perfect for anyone looking to go to the next level. We invite you to join us in Magic Markets Premium. Go to magic-markets.com to subscribe. This episode of Magic Markets is brought to you by B2IT. Have you heard of Robotic Process Automation or RPA? It taps into the incredible potential of artificial intelligence to effortlessly handle those never-ending, monotonous tasks. Or as B2IT put it, they make robots so people don't have to be robots. Visit b2it.co.za to kickstart your business automation journey. We thank B2IT for their support of Magic Markets. Welcome to episode 158 of Magic Markets, brought to you as always by B2IT, and they make it possible for us to do these really cool shows where we dig into two different companies and come back with three interesting points each, I suppose, Mo. And this week, we've both chosen American banks. Basically, all the American banks released results in the last week. They all sort of time it together, which means the headlines are filled with news of banking, which is something that we both spent our previous lives in. I chose Citigroup. I think you did Bank of America. Let me say hello to you first before I let you dive in. Yeah, Ghost, always a pleasure doing this with you. And indeed, it's been the kickoff season for US earnings. Uh, Banks, obviously, kind of first to go in that space. And I guess we both chose these stocks because the two stocks we're going to cover, you've covered Citi, I've covered Bank of America. Those were the two that maybe missed market expectations. And we're going to get into the detail of that versus other players like JP Morgan. They seem to have done a little bit better. Uh, But let me not steal the thunder from the show, Ghost. Let's jump into this week's show. uh, And I'm going to let you go first with with Citi because, I mean, that's a company, that's a bank that's been through a really, really tough time over the course of the last 12 to 18 months. Uh, I'm keen to see what the most recent set of numbers are telling us. Yeah, absolutely. So look, Citigroup is a pretty good example of, I think, how the share price moves before the earnings do, unless there really is a very big surprise in those earnings. And this is why you can have very bad headlines about a company, and yet the share price is doing very nicely. So not all bad headlines are created equal. It's about what the bad news is. Some of these are negative surprises, and where they are getting worse, that will lead to a drop in share price. Other bad headlines, things like job losses, can actually cause a share price to spike. And that's what's happened in the Citigroup share price. So it might only be up 7.2% in the past year, but had you gotten the crystal ball out and taken a punt in mid-October, you would now be 35% higher. So that is despite a fourth quarter that, in their words, was very disappointing. So what is going on here? How does the share price add 35% to its value? And the time period in which that happened was a very disappointing time economically. So it's all about the restructuring at Citigroup, and the market is focusing on that, not on the current earnings. The restructuring started in earnest in September with a new structure that has five businesses, and now results will be disclosed for all of them, which is quite cool for investors. They let go of 5,000 managers with a run rate of $1 billion per year. Not so cool for them. 
but they are now planning to cut 20,000 positions in Mexico. That is a lot of people. That's over $2 billion in run rate savings. That just means annualized savings because obviously these cuts happen over the course of a year. Plus there are usually retrenchment payments, et cetera. This is a gigantic number of people. And unfortunately, managing a company like Citi means making tough cost-saving decisions. One has to hope and sleep at night that the job market is fluid enough to absorb all these people. Look, I'm no expert on Mexico other than some of their food and certainly some of their drinks, but I fear it's not going to be so easy for those who are let go. 20,000 people is a massive number of people. As a further point on the restructure, they've sold nine of their 14 international consumer franchises and they've wound down 70% of total retail loans and deposits in Russia, Korea, and China. Now that's obviously not since September, you know, this restructure has been going on for longer than that. They also have retired 6% of their legacy applications for the second year in a row. So it's all about restructuring across everything, IT, business units, reporting structures, inward focus, and just trying to get the place right. And these sort of restructuring efforts over a short period of time, if the market likes the news flow in the direction, can cause some pretty serious share price volatility. Yeah, Ghost, I mean, that's very interesting because the story at City, one of a, of a restructure, but of a turnaround, uh, at Bank of America, less so. I mean, there were the bad headlines. And again, to your point of, of not all headlines are created equal. I'm going to jump into that because Bank of America, as I indicated, you know, that's a stock that disappointed the market on both the earnings front as well as on the revenue front. Now, for the year to date, and yes, acknowledging we're just two weeks into this particular year, the stock's down around 4%. But this is after it was actually up, it peaked around 3% positive. So that's around a 7% swing just from where it was pre the earnings announcement. Now, what actually drove some of that downside momentum was a decline in its fourth quarter earnings. But the story with Bank of America is one of charges. So let's unpack that a little bit. Their earnings were down more than 50% from around $7.1 or what was $0.85 cents per share a year ago. And this, however, as I indicated, was actually directly as a result of $3.7 billion of one-off charges. Now, what were those? If we unpack that a little bit further, there's around $2.1 billion that went to the federal insurance company effectively. Now, if you cast your mind back last year, we had a lot of uh, angst in the US markets around regional banks. Some of those regional banks needed to be bailed out. And so now, the, effectively, this, this pool fund at a federal level has been clawing back some of those charges from an assortment of US banks. And in this particular instance, that translated into a $2.1 billion charge, one-off, but it's still quite quite chunky. The next charge is also interesting because when we look at Bank of America, they've gone and changed the benchmark that they are using in London, effectively their London interbank benchmark interest rate. And that translated into a $1.6 billion charge. So if you sum those two together, roughly, like I say, $3.7 billion, and that took a big chunk out of the earnings. Now, if we exclude those two charges, we can actually see that the bank then reported earnings or profit effectively of 70 cents per share. And that was slightly above the market's expectations. So 
when we digest all of that, the market's saying, yes, we get it's a one-off charge, but you know we're not going to let you off lightly on this one. And it's quite important to note that because the banks in general have to also grapple with a change in terms of the economic cycle, what the outlook looks like. I'm going to deal with that in my next point. I just want to touch on a few additional points here in that the bank also said that its net interest income decreased 5%, and that's down to $13.9 billion. Now, this is because of higher deposit costs and lower deposit balances. And the reason I raise this is because it's important to note that a lot of depositors at these banks have moved their money around. There's also a drawdown on savings in the US as the economy continues to run hot, spend continues to run hot, and you're starting to see some of that come through in terms of the bank's numbers. So this really has actually offset some of the higher asset yields. And I mean, this is important to note because banks, we always speak about the endowment effect and how you know banks are supposed to be these big beneficiaries of higher interest rates. But when it comes to Bank of America, it's underperformed its peers because there's one additional point here. Bank of America actually piled into low-yielding, long-dated securities during COVID-19, and that has also impacted them quite significantly. Now, the balance sheet strategy is basically everything. I mean, that's what effectively sank one of those regional banks in the US and started that whole crisis was if you get it wrong in terms of what you're investing funds in, I can uh, close the doors to the entire place. So it's it's very important that risk management, you know, there's some very clever people involved at these banks and they don't always get it right. No one can always get it right. They can't always get it right at City either. And if we look more closely at the five business units, we'll certainly see that. But before I dive into the granular performance, I think it's just important to understand what those business units are. You know, what makes up Citibank or Citigroup actually? Now, the one they are best known for is their services business. That's where their TTS business is the market leader. That stands for Treasury and Trade Solutions. City is best known for that by far. Then they also have USPB, which stands for United States Personal Banking. You don't need a doctorate to figure out what that is. They cherry pick some rankings here, like being second in US for card, for example, and first in deposits per branch. I mean, that's really starting to pick a metric that makes sense, you know. In the wealth business, their private bank is ranked fifth in the market. Not great. Not terrible. Not great. In banking, their investment banking business is fifth in the market. Same story. And speaking of markets, that is also the name of their fifth and final segment where they are ranked third overall, fixed income second and equities sixth. So in my view, what you've got here is a very strong core treasury and trade business. And then a whole lot of quite scrappy things if you move beyond that, actually. Now, something I respect about the way they've done the structure and the level of disclosure is they are not really hiding anything, actually, which is quite brave when you're dealing with substandard businesses. But the market does like that kind of transparency. It's very easy for a corporate to mix a pretty bad business in with a really great business and then report a sort of mediocre combined story without the market really understanding what's going on there. So that's not the route that City is taking and kudos to them for that. And of course, their reporting lines follow this as well. So if you've been in charge of one of those somewhat underperforming clusters in the bank, then best believe the heat is on. Of course, the heat is also on if you're running the key business because you cannot afford any missteps there. So the heat is on everywhere. And especially when you've just reported a negative return on equity of 4.5%. So they've also been hit by a lot of one-offs, et cetera. I mean, Mo, you've talked about some of the one-offs. They've actually hit the whole industry effectively in the latest earnings. But even last year, return on equity was 4.3%. So it's not exactly been a you know, runaway success story. City has been struggling for a while now. And when we get into the granular businesses, which I'll unpack in my third and final point, you'll see that they're weaker businesses. That's where the problem lies. 
their stronger businesses, as you, as you would expect, are doing really well. So this kind of goes back to that old story of investing in market leaders. And they kind of tend to keep opening the gap against competitors as opposed to, you know, getting caught by them. It's true often. And we see it all the time in magic markets. Yeah, and I mean, in this space, in the banking space, in the big banking space, JP Morgan has really been the, the OG. You know, they, they've been a clear market leader. And, you know, even though JP Morgan actually uh, kind of beat market expectations on both revenue and on earnings, even that share price took a knock on its latest release. And then very recently, we've just seen Goldman Sachs. Let me not get sidetracked, though, Ghost. My, my second point here, I touched on in my first point, how the net interest income decreased at Bank of America, it decreased 5%. But I'm going to now expand on that a little bit. And I'm not going to go into the same kind of granular detail of the various segments of the business. But when we look at Bank of America, there is a retail banking side of the business. And then there's also an investment banking side of the business. So what's actually been driving the flywheel here? Well, the decrease in net income, it stands to reason, is on the back of, as we indicated, the lower the, the higher deposit costs. But when we look at the loan side of the book, if we look at you know just the loans that the bank's putting out there, the company's guidance there, loans expected to grow in the low to mid single digit, uh, in the low to mid single digit range in 2024. And this is after expanding just shy of one percent in the fourth quarter. So this is showing you uh, quite quite a muted impact, a muted outlook. And you've got to obviously juxtapose this against other commentary that's been coming out of the uh, out of the company. Certainly, more recently, if you go and Google Bank of America, you'll see lots of comments from its CEO saying, "Hey, we think there's a soft landing, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. But when we look at just the performance of that loan book, an important point to note here is the provision for credit losses. Now, for example, in South Africa, I know you call these things non-performing loans. Banks provide against these based on their outlook. And when we look at Bank of America, and they're the second largest retail bank in the US to note this, right? They've actually posted a $1.1 billion provision for credit losses. Now, for context, in the same quarter last year, it's now escalated by $12 million. So it's a big number. They've also provided additionally for those, those credit losses. And this showing you that they are concerned around the overall health of some of the loans on the book. Now, it's important to note this and then to also contrast this because if we look at that business versus the investment banking business, the investment banking business actually did relatively well and specifically on the back of trading revenue. So it's not going to sound exciting, but trading revenue was up 1% to $3.8 billion, and that's in the fourth quarter. But this was because of a 12% jump in revenue from the equities part of the business. So that's been quite a key driver. We know what's happened in the equities market. And again, it stands to reason that you'd expect to see a strong performance from the trading side of the business. But what interested me here, and maybe my last point in this particular segment, is that we saw an uptick, a big pickup in deal-making in the fourth quarter that pushed investment banking fees up 7% to 1.1 billion. Now, why do I say this is interesting? Is if you have a look at other industry metrics, they're showing us a little bit of a slowing down, a curling over in terms of M&A activity. We've discussed some of the stuff we've seen. For example, the FTC in the, in the US has been pushing back quite hard against acquisitions. Uh, and so it's interesting to see that Deal making that was actually one of the shining lights when it came to Bank of America. And the reason I raise it is we've got to be cautious around that. If the economic cycle turns, if M&A starts getting a lot harder, 
that segment of this business might come under pressure, maybe mitigated to some degree if we start to see lower rates coming through from the Fed. But I'm not going to jump there quite yet. We will get into share price performance as well as the economic outlook in my next point post. So my last point is about looking at these different business units in just a bit more detail, actually. Now, you know, for all the nice things I said about the TTS business, you might have assumed that services is actually the biggest part of City. You would be wrong. It represents around 23% of revenue. So yes, it's big, but it's actually smaller than the markets business as well as the US personal banking business. It is the fastest growing side of City, though, with a compound annual growth rate or CAGR of 20% from FY21 to FY23. Now, when you consider that the group revenue, if you adjust it for the businesses they've sold off, only grew at a CAGR of 3% over the same period, that is massive outperformance versus where the group has been. A good reminder here that having a leading market position is very important and that winners often keep on winning. So that was the point I made earlier. Now, their US personal banking side also deserves a nod of appreciation. CAGR of 10%, it's pretty good. Card business has done well. So again, good example of where is their strength? It's in card. Where are they doing well right now? In card. Now that unfortunately concludes the winners within City. We now get to the scrappy stuff. The market's operation that's bigger than services, slightly smaller than US personal banking, but it's decreased by a CAGR of negative 1%. It's down 6% year on year, so that's getting worse. And exposure to Argentina has actually been the problem here. But in reality, markets businesses are volatile, and that's always a challenge for earnings. And it's quite a big chunk of the city business, bigger than you would typically see in a South African bank, for example. So these US banks, they often have a larger proportion of risky things in them than you'll find in the South African banks, which are actually quite conservative overall. Now, the wealth business, that has shrunk at a CAGR of negative 3%. It's down 5% year on year, so the decline is getting worse. They blame deposit product mix shifts here. But in reality, a wealth business, honestly, is something that should just keep on ticking and keep on growing. It should be this very annuitized, fee-based business. So they clearly have a lot of work to do there. The banking business, that's the smallest and it's getting smaller. Now it's a bit misleading the way they describe this business as banking. It's really investment banking. It's got a negative CAGR of 23%, but you've got to understand that's versus FY21. That was like zero interest rates. You know, everything was going bananas. It was the time of IPOs. So that base is actually just a little bit unfair. You've got to consider the macroeconomic backdrop here to that story, but still clearly going the wrong way. And again, very volatile, but at least it's a small part of city. It's actually the smallest part of city. Now, if we just lift our head and we look at expenses at group level, and I think it's quite interesting here that they disclose their IT expenses as either being change the bank or run the bank. And they are actually spending a pretty equal amount on both each year. So it implies that yes, they are investing for the future. They are driving efficiencies with the same priority as business as usual. The cynics among you might point out that it shows how significant the technology spend is for all of these businesses. And that's where I actually want to finish off. This is why I have shares in Accenture, because whether the bank does well or does badly or whatever happens with the Fed or anything else you like, they are all investing in technology literally all the time. And although City actually makes a point of saying they've cut down a bit on consultants to bring in more internal people, somewhere else out there, there's a bank that is doing the exact opposite of that. I can guarantee it. And a business like Accenture is just always there to pick up those pieces. So, you know, it's the good old shovel in the gold rush story. There is a lot of tech investment in financial services all the time. And I'm a very happy Accenture shareholder. Yeah, I like that. I mean, pick where you actually try to extract value in, in the value chain, Ghost. I mean... I'm going to wrap up. You've kind of gone micro. I'm going to go macro on my last point. And I'm going to first of all start off with the fact that 
Bank of America, in some of its recent commentary, has actually been quite constructive on the outlook for the U.S. economy. They think that we've got a soft landing. They think that possibly the cycle reverses and that it's not all bad news for the U.S. economy. Now, remember, these are global banks, but again, predominantly with exposure to the U.S. I'm going to use that to start off and then say, well, what's actually happened over the course of the last year? In fact, goes before I jump there, I'm going to maybe fast forward to looking at dividend yields because, you know, banks are stocks that I think we've liked over, you know, through various cycles. They just tend to make decent money. But the dividend yield is a significant portion of your return. And so I'm going to start off there maybe. And when we look at Bank of America, that currently comes through at a dividend yield of around 2.9%. Now, it doesn't sound very exciting, but bear in mind, this is in dollars and it's relatively de-risk if you have a look at where they play in the economy. But how does that stack up to other competitors? We've mentioned JP Morgan, how JP Morgan's the OG, you know, it's the elephant in the room, and JP Morgan's dividend yield slightly more modest at around 2.5%. Wells Fargo, that's another big bank in the US, they come through at around 3%, very similar to Bank of America. But interestingly enough, if we then look at City, I think they, they've got a dividend yield of around 4%, if memory serves. It's there and thereabouts, slightly higher than what we're seeing at the likes of Bank of America. And then lastly, Goldman Sachs, predominantly an investment bank. They tried some stuff in the retail space. They tried a credit card. hasn't worked out so well. Their dividend yield stacking up at around 3%. So as you can see, a nice clustering in terms of the dividend yield. And City, their dividend yield may be slightly more elevated just given the share price performance over the course of the last few years. Now, let me jump to that share price performance. You've already touched on the performance of City, but when we have a look at Bank of America, that's actually been the laggard over the last 12 months. The stock's down around 8% over the last year. And if we compare that, that's the, that's the loser, right? If we compare that to the, the, the winner, that's JP Morgan, JP Morgan up 17%. So showing you that even if you get the sector right, even if you said, yes, I want to be in banks, you've got to actually choose your player, back your jockey really, really carefully. Then let's have a look at some of the others and how they stacked up. Next up on the list, we've got Goldman Sachs. They came through with around an 8% positive return over the last 12 months. Uh, then they're followed by the likes of Wells Fargo at around 5%. And so if you have a look at that, you can see quite a big dispersion in terms of the last 12 months specifically. And that is why I want to look at five-year performance. And Ghost, this is where I'm going to be cheeky. And I'm going to say to you, of all of the banks I've mentioned which one of those do you think actually come out top of the pops over the last five years? Yes, it's very sensitive to your starting point, so I know it's cheeky, but for some fun, what, what would you put on your number one spot? My answer is always JP Morgan, whether you mention it or not in that list, because I think just Jamie Dimon is the man to put the money behind. Yeah, so, so, so JP Morgan was the winner over the last 12 months, but over five years, and this surprised me, I would have also gone with JP Morgan, it's actually Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs has actually come through up 85, almost 86% versus JP Morgan at around 58%. So that just shows you how, you know, Goldman Sachs, again, may be sensitive to a starting point there, absolutely. But the investment banking side of the businesses have done well, given the kind of market backdrop that we have seen. And remember, this takes into account the decline that we had seen during the pandemic. If you actually went and chose this from pandemic lows, you might end up with a slightly different picture. JP Morgan coming through in the number two spot. And then, surprising me, we actually see Bank of America coming through in the number three spot. They're up around 
over the last five years. Now, it's not exciting if you have a look at that in terms of the compound annual growth rate and certainly not exciting when you compare to JP Morgan, when you compare to Goldman Sachs. But what's interesting for me here is it outperformed Wells Fargo. You know, Wells Fargo had a lot of issues specifically in its retail business. And then the laggard over the last five years was actually Citi. And Citi is a bank that's gone through a really, really tough time. That stock down 20% over the last five years. So again, even if you look at this through the cycle, be very sensitive. I would say you want to defer to the high quality players here because that's where you have a higher probability. And last point from me, Ghost, is the economic cycle is going to be an interesting one. If we said banks are usually beneficiaries of higher rates and we start going into a declining rate environment, that might come through with some pressure on banks in just in terms of the endowment effect. But then bear in mind, it might actually give them some benefit when it comes to the performance of their book from a credit loss perspective. So it's always important to note those two opposing forces when you're looking at the sector. So here's the real shocker for you. What did you say uh, Goldman Sachs's five-year was? Was it like 80-something percent? Yeah, call it 86. So do you want to guess Accenture over five years? Don't cheat now and Google it. I'm watching you. In the hundreds. Uh, you, you can watch me. I'm not going to go and type it in right now. It's in the hundreds. I mean, I, I know how strong. One, 136%. 136%. So basically, this is like a Top Gear episode. You know, today's top tip is the best bank you can buy is Accenture. No, it all jokes aside, you know, it, it really is a case of understanding that financial services firms are investing like crazy in tech, as I said. And that's why I like something like Accenture. It just sits just further back in the value chain, as you said. You know, it's about picking where you want to play understanding there's a lot of regulation there's a lot of efficiencies there's a lot of competition in this game and that's not a bad place to play i have jp morgan as well that's kind of my sort of buy and forget in the sector and then city etc is proof that you know if you get the timing right and you watch these stocks closely if you're an active trader you know, it's much easier said than done, but you can make some serious money. Yeah, agreed. I mean, if you have a look at the share price performance of some of those those ones that have actually led the pack, they're looking quite extended. You know, if you if you want to be a contrarian, you could maybe argue that, hey, City's giving me a better dividend yield. It's already kind of been quite hard hit. Some of the bad news is priced in. Maybe you want to go and play there. And But again, to stress the point, if you're a buy and forget investor, that's not the strategy. If you're a trader, maybe that's the strategy. But, you know, what do you think as our listeners? Because that's where we've got to leave it this week. We hope you found the show interesting. Let us know on social media. It's at Finance Coast. It's at Mohammed Nala. And it's at Magic Markets Pod. One word, all on X. Or go and pop us a note on LinkedIn and let us know what you think about the show. And until next week, same time, same place. Thanks and cheers. Ciao. We thank our sponsor, B2IT, for making this show possible. B2IT is all about making life easier, one robot at a time. If you hate it, automate it. Visit b2it.co.za to kickstart your business automation journey. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor 